This talk was given by Robert Roxon Ritchie at the Zen Center of New York City. Roxon is a senior monastic in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> for those who don't know me, my name is Rakusan, and I'm a monk uh, at Mount Tremper. Thank you for coming out to practice at the temple today on this hot day. Um, today, I would like to talk about the gap. You know, that little space between things. We attend to the moments of our experience, to our practice, and to that train rushing by with a wide range of mindfulness. Metro North reminds us to watch the gap. The London Underground says, mind the gap. Dido used to say, no gaps. If our lives are at stake, we do watch the gap, but we are not always so attentive. Often we don't notice when we have left the breath, or when we have passed the post office, or when the rice cooker has been on for an hour, but unplugged. When they miss the spot with the latex semi-gloss, we call it a painter's holiday. Yes, they were, and we were, indeed, elsewhere. Perhaps you've noticed there are gaps or lapses in our attention everywhere. In Zen practice, we work with our minds to notice when we are distracted from what is right in front of us. The sooner, the better. With diligent practice and training, we begin to live and practice at the breaking edge of our experience, I am told. We miss less and we see more. This is entry into Vipassana, which, according to Robert Thurman, means to see more, to see into things more clearly, or experience insight. The mind of Zazen wants to stay awake to what is arising just as it arises and just as it slips away. Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. What is this? But we often have a hard time staying with it. That is why the Buddha teaches us to calm the constant agitations of the mind and learn to focus and attend. Wouldn't that be wonderful? To have the simple ability to put the mind where we want it, when we want it to, for as long as we want it to. For most of us, in order to have insight into the true nature of things, we must develop the ability to concentrate the mind. The Tibetans teach shamatha as access to vipassana. 
I remember writing a paper in grad school proposing a curriculum in concentration for a college freshman. They didn't make me work too hard in high school, but when I got to college and was confronted with difficult texts in math and physics, I was rudely awakened uh, to my own inability to really concentrate and see into what was being taught. It was a painful initiation. I had to work hard to get up to speed and stay with it. Which is why, years later, I thought it might be a good idea to give the incoming classes a course or two to help them develop the most essential skill that they would need to succeed in any of their courses and then throughout their lives in whatever they would do. I had studied some of the essential teachings of Buddhism, and I knew that there was a whole wisdom tradition devoted to training the mind that we could draw upon. We didn't have to get religious about it. We could just teach them how to concentrate. I referenced the world-known cellist Yo-Yo Ma and Olga Corbett. Remember her? She was an incredible gymnast in the uh, 1972 Olympics. Concentration could be so graceful, so beautiful, so useful. I still think that that course would be a good idea, but as far as I know, freshmen who are having a hard time are often just offered a short course in what is called remedial study skills and note-taking. The essential ability to simply concentrate is something they still have to figure out for themselves. Or not. Our teachers urge us to ceaseless practice. This requires concentration. When a thought arises in Zazen, it might distract us for a second or two or perhaps uh, a minute or maybe even for a whole period. The bell rings and we wonder how we could have allowed that old story or that confusing conversation from last night carry us away again for so long. Sometimes this mind of worry and concern and uh, entertainment can carry us away for a whole lifetime. But with training, we can learn to notice when we are distracted. We see the thought as it arises, and we learn to just let it go and return to the breath. When we get really good at it, I think the thoughts just rise and fall without hooking us. But with training, we learn to notice when we are distracted, to see the thought as it arises, and to just let it go and return to the breath. When we get really good at it, I think the thoughts just rise and fall without hooking us at all. That is ceaseless practice. So now the thoughts no longer have center stage. We begin to apprehend the natural state of mind that rests without 
disturbance. No disturbance in the field of bliss, void, indivisible, as Robert Thurman would say. But of course, we need to rise our uh, rise from our still and quiet seats in the zendo, and take the ceaseless practice into activity. This is where the tire meets the road, where we were asked to actualize the insights and experience of zazen in every activity of every minute of every day of our lives. This is ceaseless practice. Daido's teacher, Maizumi Roshi, used to talk about playing freely in inner and outer samadhi. Wouldn't that be wonderful? What grand liberation to play with Roshi this way. Now, we might understand gap in a new way. We began this investigation by seeing the thought and feelings and sensations that might arise in zazen and distract us from the breath were creating gaps in concentration. With training, we learn to let them go and establish continuous focus on the breath. No more gaps. Well, not so many, anyway. Now we might flip this model and consider the space between thoughts and feelings and sensations as the gaps. Gaps in the thinking, feeling, sensing facade of the self. It's just a matter of what we see and experience as foreground and what we see and experience as background. When we see the busy activity of mind as foreground, the natural state of mind, the busy act, uh, uh, excuse me, when we see the busy activity of mind as foreground, the natural state of mind is background, and we have trouble accessing it. When we rest in the natural state of mind, the busy activity of mind is just background. We see it, but it doesn't distract us. The self is Swiss cheese with gappy holes running through left and right. But look into the holes. Look into the gaps in the self. Look into selflessness. Here are openings into the empty field, into spaciousness, into the open sky. In this way, we can see what is not produced or created, but what is. We rush up and down the round corridors of our Swiss cheese minds, intent on busyness, worry, pleasure, pain. But at some point, we come to a hole or a gap that looks out on the world as it is, and we are amazed. We see something uninterrupted by all that noise, and we long to enter there and realize ceaseless practice. It is hard work to maintain the idea 
of ourselves. The idea we have of who we want the world to see us as and the idea of who we want to see ourselves as. It's really exhausting to keep that whole elaborate construction intact, properly functioning, well-dressed, and well-equipped to meet the world. It is a very anxiety-producing enterprise because underneath it all, we know that, as Leonard Cohen would put it, we are really nothing but the brief elaboration of a tube. In his fascicle on continuous practice, Dogen says, on the great road of Buddha ancestors, there is always unsurpassable practice, continuous and sustained. It forms the circle of the way and is never cut off. Between aspiration, practice, enlightenment, and nirvana, there is not a moment of gap. Continuous practice is the circle of the way. This being so, continuous practice is undivided, not forced by you or others. The power of this continuous practice confirms you as well as others. It means your practice affects the entire earth and the entire sky in the ten directions although not noticed by others or by yourself. It is so. Dogen is showing us the way into continuous practice. He is inviting us to join the Buddha ancestors and enter through the gateless gate, to enter through that mysterious gap in our minds that opens into the empty field and to realize the circle of the way. The way is undivided, whether we are just now raising the Buddha mind of aspiration or whether we are well into practice, whether we are sitting zazen or riding the subway. The circle is unbroken. Why would we leave it? Dogen goes on to say, accordingly, By the continuous practices of of all Buddhas and ancestors, your practice is actualized and your great road opens up. This is a great master speaking to us directly. He is telling us how our great road opens up. Because there is no gap between the Buddha ancestors and all of us, no gap between their continuous practice and our own, We can walk with them. We can practice with them. We can breathe with them. Dogen waxes poetic. Because of this practice, there are the sun, the moon, and the stars. Because of this practice, there are the great earth and the open sky. Because of this practice, there are body, mind, and their environs. Because of this practice, there are the four great elements and the five skandhas. The continuum of practice is big, bigger than we can imagine, most certainly bigger than any idea of who we think we are. Dogen warns us, though, 
he says, continuous practice is not necessarily something people in the world love, but it should be the true place of return for everyone. Most likely, the people in the world who don't love continuous practice have not yet really entered continuous practice. Standing on the outside, continuous practice may look like a lot of work with no vacation. It is. Continuous practice is a miraculous opportunity to enter and actualize the way. It is the true place of return for everyone. We need not experience it as work, toil, or drudgery. It's a miracle. Again, Dogen says, as it is not divided by what is hidden, apparent, existent, or not existent, you may not notice the causal conditions that led you to be engaged in the practice that actualizes you at this very moment of unknowing. The reason you don't see it is that becoming conscious of it is not anything remarkable. Investigate in detail. Investigate this in detail. It is so because the causal condition, the aspiration, is no other than continuous practice itself. Continuous practice is not limited by the causal condition. So having entered continuous practice, you might forget how you entered, what life was like before, how way back then, or right here now, you raised the Buddha mind of bodhicitta and aspired to combust your life, as Daido would say, in continuous practice. It's hard to find a beginning or an end to it. It's not surprising to see Dogen talk about this very moment of unknowing. Somewhere in the British Isles in the 14th century, an anonymous preceptor urged a young novice monk to lift his heart with naked intent into the cloud of unknowing so that he might let go of the self and realize the true nature of God, or to put it another way, to realize the true nature of himself and all things. The book is beautiful guidance in contemplative prayer. But it is not about a man kneeling on the earth, worshiping a god far away, way up there in the middle of the air. It is closer than that. It's more a matter of heart. Naked intent is not the Our Father. It is a silent, sacred, and ardent disposition of the heart without words and letters. It is not anything remarkable or anything that can be done. It must be allowed. 
one must open and receive it. The cloud of unknowing cannot be known. Dogen says continuous practice is like this. In a song that came out in 2001, Leonard Cohen says, I swept the marble chambers, but you sent me down below. You kept me from believing until you let me know that I am not the one who loves. It's love that seizes me. When hatred when his, with his package comes, you forbid delivery. And when the hunger for your touch rises from the hunger, you whisper, you have loved enough. Now let me be the lover. The speaker of these lines was practicing deep introspective meditation in those marble chambers of his mind. But the you here, his teacher, or perhaps a spiritualized personification of the Buddha, sent him down below, back down to planet Earth and samsara, or perhaps reality. He was kept from believing because believing is not contact with what is real. Until he was allowed to actually learn and know the simple truth for himself. The truth he came to know was that he cannot love or do anything to realize the final intimacy he seeks. Rather, he must allow it to come to him. And then the singer sings that the hunger for your touch or the aspiration for the Dharma, as we have it in Dharma, in Dogen, rises from the hunger, or is the hunger itself, the aspiration itself. Here, the lover or the spiritual seeker is lifting his heart with naked, blind intent to realize unity with the ineffable. And then, the Buddha voice says, you have loved enough. Now let me be the lover. The naked intent to enter in is met with grace and consummated. This is Dogen's true place of return for everyone. In continuous practice, we enter this true place through a gap in the self. We have to study the self, and we have to study the gap. We can't move in, and move in too light or stand back too far. It's like uh, tuning my old Mazda pickup truck. When I replaced the spark plugs... I had to adjust the gap between the electrodes on the end of each plug. Too close, and the spark would be too weak to ignite the gas in the pistons and turn the crankshaft and the wheels. 
too far apart, and the electrical system might not have enough juice to produce a spark across the electrodes at all. So I had to adjust the gap of the plug to achieve the optimum spark to exactly 0.044 inches. With the same degree of precision, we must tune the human vehicle, the human mind. We must practice and train carefully and continuously to enter and cultivate and rest in the empty field of the natural state of mind. The spark plug reminded me that when I was in high school years ago, I built a static generator. It was a 20-inch tall, 4-inch diameter, clear plastic cylinder with a polished metal globe on top of it on a box with a motor in it. The motor powered a latex belt that went round and round and up and back inside the cylinder between the box and the globe. The belt brought electrons up to the globe and stored them on the surface because it was polished, very shiny. I could generate up to 400,000 electron volts this way. After it was charged up, I could put my hands on the globe and my hair would stand on end, like Einstein. If I pointed my finger at the globe and moved in slowly, there would be a precise point about eight inches out when lightning from the globe would arc and strike my finger. It didn't hurt because while there were lots of volts, the amperage was minimal. But the point is that the nature of things is the nature of things. The voltage on the globe had to be of sufficient strength and my finger had to be in sufficient proximity or there would be no lightning. The spark plug gap had to be 0.044 or the truck wouldn't start. We must carefully tune the human instrument to enable the noise of the self to quiet and the gap in the self to open on the natural state of mind. This is called continuous practice. In another Leonard Cohen song, he says, you thought that it could never happen to all the people you became. Your body lost in legend, the beast so very tame. But here, right here, between the birthmark and the stain, between the ocean and your open vein, between the snowman and the rain, once again, once again, love calls you by your name. And here, right here, between the dancer and his cane, between the sailboat and the drain, between the newsreel and your tiny pain, once again, once again, love calls you by your name. It is the non-dual space that is the way to freedom, to compassion, to wisdom, 
It is neither this nor that, nor both nor neither. Between. We have been called to see into the gap in our usual way of apprehending the world. I think Cohen was always more a poet than a singer, songwriter, or entertainer. Poetry is a city of gaps. Epiphanies abound. Often, poems don't make sense. You may not know a poem. You might just feel it. There is poetry throughout the Zen literature. Dogen's great work, Shobo Genzo, is more poetry than prose. And all the, all the koans speak in verse. The best poems are antelopian. They leap like antelopes. And it is that leaping across great and terrible and often thrilling gaps that words become poetry and powerful expressions of Zen insight. In a famous verse, Bodhidharma famously said that Dharma is a special transmission outside the scriptures, not depending on words and letters. I do think the old bearded barbarian was quite right about this. Words and letters cannot express the Dharma, but I think poetry can, though I can feel my teacher admonish me. There is, least, there is at least one more way to understand gaps, and I'll close with this. We can understand them as bardo, the gap between lives where, according to the Tibetans, we have a great opportunity to choose an auspicious rebirth. In his book, In Love with the World, Yonggi Mingyur Rinpoche tells a story of living on the edge of death and the experience of this life as bardo. He was begging for his food. He used to be um, an abbot. I mean, he was an abbot of three monasteries and had lots of monk students and was responsible for um, the training of all these people. But he wanted to experience being a mendicant yogi and, and test his understanding. So he went and he left in the middle of the night his monastery and went out into the world into the poverty of India and walked penniless in the streets and took off his special Rinpoche robe, his special Rinpoche uh, role. And at one point, he's begging for food and he happens to get some food that's tainted. And he gets sick. He gets dysentery. And... Um, he gets very weak, and uh, he thinks he's dying, but he wants to practice this, this moment of life and death. So here's what he says. I was leaning against the cremation site. This is where the Buddha's cremains were uh, enshrined, in uh, Kusanagara, I think. 
um, but trying to keep my back as straight as possible. My mouth became very dry. The element of water was leaving my body. It was dehydrated. I had learned about this luminous emptiness that accompanies the moment of death all my life. He had studied the bardos, the best chance for enlightenment. My extremities turned cold. It was very hot outside. So I knew that this was caused by losing body heat. With newfound confidence, recognition of awareness continued. Continuous practice. Even as my body weakened, I felt more vigorous. With the dissolution of air into space, my body became completely paralyzed. I could not move. This man is dying. With the conceptual mind draining away, the uncovered original mind manifested with increasing vividness. Awareness and emptiness became one. The last shred of cohesion slipped away. The entire universe opened up and became totally unified with consciousness. I was no longer bonded to any sense of a distinct body or mind. No separation existed between me, my mind, my skin, my body, and the rest of the world. It seemed as if I could see forever, as if I could see through trees, as if I could be trees. I cannot even say I continued to breathe. The cup that had contained empty space had broken. The vase had been shattered, extinguishing inside and outside. Through meditation, I had known child luminosity, but had never known such intense union of child and mother luminosity. Emptiness, infusing emptiness, the bliss and tranquility. as poetry, as a lapse in attention, as a miraculous opportunity, as insight, as bardo, we have been looking at gaps in our lives. Here we are in the middle. We are in the gap of our lives between life and death. In this precious lifetime, we have the chance to see into and beyond the noise and violence of our culture into and beyond the babble and desire of our body minds, into and beyond the habits and blindness of lifetimes. By engaging our practice with full body and mind, we have the rare chance to step into and through this gap that seems to be made of flesh and blood and find the true place of return. Thanks for listening. You can find more Dharma Talks, interviews, and events at zmm.org slash media. While online, please check out the Jizo Project, our multifaceted initiative to make Zen Mountain Monastery more accessible and welcoming to all. Learn about the new Jizo House building and accessibility enhancements to existing facilities that are just two aspects to this exciting endeavor. Find out more and see how you can get involved at zmm.org slash Jizo Project. That's J-I-Z-O-P.
P-R-O-J-E-C-T.